All right. Well, um, let me pray, and then we'll get started on our process. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for today, and we thank you for your, your goodness, your grace, and your mercy in our lives, Father, that um, you do guide and direct us in every path you'd have us to take, Lord, and that you are um, faithful to show us the next step and what you'd have us to do, Father. We thank you. Thank you for these ladies, Lord. Lord, they come with, um, each one of us come with different issues and challenges and difficulties and joys and satisfactions. And I just pray, Lord, that um, that in this class, Father, as we speak today, as I share today, as the ladies engage, Lord, that we would um, hear your voice, Father, that the words that I speak would be edifying and glorifying to you, Father God, and it would draw us into um, a deeper, more meaningful relationship with you, Father. And we thank you for what you're going to do um, in our lives. We thank you for spring, Lord. We do thank you for the warmer weather and um, the new life that that brings, and we're grateful for that. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, just as a reminder, and I think it's next week, is the time change the 14th, right? I think it's next week is the time change, just FYI. It's, I mean, I know they've been doing it several years. Oh, yeah, spring forward next week. So, so does that mean that at 8.30 it's going to be 9.30, or is it 7.30, or is it 8.30 going to be, we spring forward? Yeah, we so lose we an, an hour of sleep. Hour of sleep. So okay. Okay. I kind of like the sun being up early, and that's why that goes from there. So, hey, Denise. So, all right. Um, we, uh, we've got Betty and Wendy, our visitors, so I'm just going to real quick. What we're doing in, for the first, I mean, we're in 11 weeks, seven weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks, and we've done one verse. And so we are just kind of going through Titus 2 about what the women's mandate is what our call is as women and um, from Titus 2 and so um, we're working through that and we finished Titus 2 3 last week and um, and so now we're going to hit Titus 2 4 today at least the beginning of it um, I got a new printer at my house and um, so for y'all's handout I thought well I'll just do the regular print you know so that's nice and bright and then but mine I don't I could do the kind of cheap one I mean way too cheap and then I'm too cheap to run it again so I'm I'm going to have to really squint to, to be able to read my lesson, but, but I think it'll be great. Um, okay, uh, Titus 2-3 um, was what we finished up last week. And I found this interesting um, that we, for those that were here, we studied uh, there to give good counsel and teach what is good. That entire phrase is one, um, is one Greek word. And I don't know how to say it, but I think I've got it listed in your handout there. It's uh, whatever that is. Kylo did die the deskoslos. Anyways, that is one single word, and it's made from a compound word meaning good, excellent, and therefore well adapted to its end, genuine, approved, precious, praiseworthy, and noble, and then die to chaos. In the New Testament, one who teaches concerning the things of God and the duties of man. It's just so amazing. The Greek word is so rich, and, and to be able to... Um, you know, I have no desire to study it, but I'm glad somebody did and, and put it in a format that I can check out and I can use and, and go from there. So in that same way, Titus 2.4 and the amplifier that I've got at the top there says, um, the older women likewise to be reverent behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good. And then we begin verse 4. So that they will wisely train the young women to be sane and sober of mind, temperate, disciplined, and to love their husbands and their children. Today we're going to talk about train the young women to be sane and sober of mind. Hey, Peg. Sane and sober of mind, temperate and disciplined. 
And then the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about loving your husband and loving your children. And, um, uh, and I, please don't just check out on that. Um, because we all, if, if you're married, definitely you need to come. If you have children, definitely need to come. Um, if you're divorced, please come, because we've got other friends that need to learn how to love their husbands. And we need to teach them how to love their husbands and show them that way. So I just want to encourage you guys in that. And if you're single, then you need to figure out what you're getting into before, <laughs> before you get into it. And so, um, so that's what we're going to But this time we're going to train the young women to be sane and sober of mind, temperate and disciplined. Um, young women, we spent, the, uh, I guess, the second or third week talking about who we are as women and that we're the pinnacle creation and that how unique and special we are as women. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on young because that means some are old and, you know. So, but we all have younger women in our lives that we can influence and we can impact. And whether they're our own children, whether they're our own daughters, whether they're our nieces, whether they're our granddaughters, whether they're our daughters, or whether they're um, just someone we work with at, at uh, co-workers um, in church, there's always younger women. Or if it's just the cashier, you know, at Kroger that we always go through. I mean, there's younger women that we need to influence our lives. And I think it's amazing. The verse that we want to talk about today is be insane. And there's a whole lot of crazy women out there right now. And I think a lot of the reason, I know in my own personal life, some of the crazy things I did in my life was because nobody taught me any different. For those of you guys that are visitors, I have a, um, I'm involved with a ministry called Lifehouse, and we take pregnant teens and young women into our, home, into our homes and, and raise them during the pregnancy. And many of the things, many of the choices beyond just having sex outside of marriage, but just their choices of how they respond to situations. It's simply because nobody's ever taught them different. And then you teach them different, and they just blossom. You know? Just, just when, I mean, simple things is making eye contact and how important that is and encouraging them to make that eye contact. Man, you show them that. And then what's so amazing, we, that is another thing that really is profound, too, is when somebody comes into a room, a guest is coming to visit the home, Whatever you're doing, you need to stop what you're doing, turn, acknowledge the person, possibly go over and shake their hand depending on the situation. And, you know, if you've got chicken all of your hands, no. But, you know, speak to them, acknowledge and introduce yourself. So that little 16, 17, 18-year-old girl, when she walks into Wendy's to interview for a job or Office Depot or Exxon, and that employer walks in, the prospective employer walks in, and she stands up, extends her hand, makes good eye contact, and says, Hi in a very strong, firm voice, hi, my name is Becky, I'm glad to be here. I mean, already they're 10 points ahead of anybody else that's come in there that's 16, 17, and 18 years old, and sometimes 20 and 27 and 28 years old. And, um, but all it took was somebody showing them how to do it because we're, those things are not, we're not born that way. You know, we don't have to teach a little three-year-old baby or a three-year-old toddler how to tell lies. We have to tell, teach them how to tell truth. We all know, I mean, I have a friend who's got a, 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 she's standing, so I guess she's probably about a year old. You know, but they walk out of the room, she she screams. They walk back in the room, she quits screaming. Walks out of the room, screams. I mean, already using that manipulation and all that stuff. And so our responsibility is to teach folks to be sane. And what's important for us to know is what is sanity. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Again, the same thing like it was last week. Once again in the Greek, this week's focal phrase is one word. Sophoranzio, okay? And that means to restore one to her senses. Restore one to her senses. To moderate, control, curb, discipline. To hold one to his, whoops, I meant to change it to her. To her duty, 
to admonish, to exhort earnestly. So that's what we're supposed to do, return one to their senses. Um, I'm grateful for the older women in my life when I have made crazy decisions. They've restored me to my senses and say, whoa, Beck, come on back on that. You're a little extreme on that. Or I go on one date with somebody and, you know, I'm already picked out the wedding dress. And it's like, okay, come back. You know, all you need to know after one date is there going to be a second date. You know, don't be running ahead naming your kids. I mean, you know, let's come back to our senses here and be focused on this. Or go out and, you know, spend a ton of money at, at Kohl's or Dillard's and buy a ton of clothes because they were just really quick cute. And I spent $500, but I saved 300 And they're like, but you don't have 10 I mean, you know, take it back. Restore them to our senses. Restore them to our senses. I think sometimes even in restoring our senses can be... Um, just uh, overreacting to a situation at work or in relationships where it's just we have just blown it way out of our portions. Or this is what I do. This is the biggest thing to restore me to my senses. Is what I will do, and I think we've talked about it in here, is I have these conversations in my head. Somebody does something, so I know they're doing this because they don't like me or whatever the situation is. So then I have I play this conversation I'm going to have, and they're going to say this, and I'm going to say this, and they're going to say this, and I'm going to say this, and. And there I am, I'm fighting with them, and I'm not even in front of them yet. And, <laughs> and they kind of say, okay, restore your senses. You know, you think that they responded that way because of this, but you don't know that. You don't know that to be true. Find out what's truth and then respond on those kind of things. Um, what's interesting, the root word, that word, sophoronizio, comes from that word sophoron which means of sound mind, sane in one's senses, curbing one's desires and impulses, self-controlled and temperate. Again, it's, it's your own senses, your own state of mind. And what I want to point out on that is if, one, if our mandate as women is to train others to be sophron, then we ourselves must be. We've got to be sane. We need to have our senses. We need to be disciplined. We need to be, have our life in, in, in order. Now, that doesn't mean, and I want to quickly throw this out, you know, people say, well, my life's a mess, and so I can't teach younger women. It's like, no. That doesn't mean that you need to be perfect. We must walk what we talk, sometimes long before we talk. It does not mean perfection, but it does mean blamelessness and intentionality. We must walk what we talk, sometimes long before we talk. But it does not mean perfection, but it does mean blamelessness and intentionality. None of us are perfect. And I think we've talked about this before, but I think it's, it bears repeating. I like to hear it personally in that perfection is perfection. There was only one who was perfect, and that was Christ. He did everything right. He, you know, Ten Commandments, he followed them, you know, never messed up. There was one that was perfect, and it's not us. Blamelessness doesn't mean that you're perfect. Blamelessness means that um, everything horizontally, every relation horizontally and every relation vertically which is there's only one relationship vertically with Christ, but horizontally, you've, you've, tried, you've, you've tried to make it as right as possible. There's nobody out there that can say, you've done me wrong and haven't tried to make it right. That's living blameless. There's nobody that can accuse you other than the accuser, and we know that that's a lie, and we know we've got the defender of Christ for that. But there's nobody out there that can say, you know, you did me wrong. We've talked about it before. So if I honk my horn at somebody in mad and anger and traffic, I've offended that person. I can't go make it right. I can't go run them down, you know, so then they think that I'm stalking them, and, you know, then it becomes a whole other issue that comes in that. But blamelessness is not being perfect, but just blamelessness is, hey, you know, I've, I've made it right as much as possible, and if necessary, made restitution. 
in this situation, gone back and sought forgiveness. Um, I did not leave my, live, live a life that was honoring to my parents when I was in high school and college. Um, when I learned what blamelessness was, I had to go back to my parents and ask them to forgive me because I didn't honor them. And nine times out of ten, everybody that I know that has ever done that, the parents usually say, oh, you, know, you know, we know, but it's okay, thanks for, you know. You know, nobody's like, well, you dang right, you should have come back and apologized. You did this and this and this, and you know, because usually you've, your life is turned another way, and it's like, you know, yeah. But thanks for coming back and seeking forgiveness. Thanks. It means a lot to them, and there's restoration that happens in those situations. And then the other thing is just being intentional. We've got to be intentional. You know, we're not going to be sane. We're not going to be disciplined. We're not going to be tolerant. We're not going to be self-controlled. We're not going to be able to curb our desires and our impulses unless we're intentional about it. I'm just telling, I'll just confess. Yesterday, I mean, I, if it wasn't bolted down, I ate it yesterday. It was just one of those, I even went by Sonic and had tater tots, which is like major, you know, should not have tater tots. And, um, and they weren't even done good. They weren't even crispy, you know. And, but I ate them all, every single one of them. And um, because I wasn't intentional about what I was going to eat yesterday. And for me, because food is such a... Um, a drug of choice for me. I've got to be very intentional about my eating. And so I, you know, so I went to the grocery store yesterday. I cooked all yesterday afternoon. I have all my meals planned out for the next two weeks, you know, and they're there in the freezer. They're, it's ready. It's in the refrigerator. It's in the freezer. I don't have to, you know, go. But I've got to be intentional about that. If I just say, okay, I'm going to curb my desires, but I don't plan anything, you know what? I'm not going to curb that desire. If I don't make, if I don't make a, uh, um, provision for it, then I'm just going to be a mess and being intentional. And it's other things, too, for all of us that we choose. With that in mind, there's two verses that I think we need to claim to make us be able to walk out this blamelessness and this intentionality. Number one is 2 Timothy 1.7. Um, and did I print that in there? Good. I think I printed it. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, of craving and cringing and fawning fear, but he gave us a spirit of power, of love, of calm and well back calm and well-balanced mind, and discipline and self-control. If we are believers in Christ, that applies to us. And then the other thing, too, is 1 Timothy 1.19, and this talks about blamelessness. Hold fast to faith, that leaning of the entire human personality on God in absolute trust and confidence, and having a good, clear conscience. Those are the two verses that we can claim to say, you know, I can be disciplined. I can be self-controlled. I can have a sound mind, a balanced mind, because God's given me that. And so I am such a big believer in the Word, and um, it, you, every, maybe, maybe nobody else, but I need to write these verses down on an index card, and for the next couple of weeks, they need to be very much in front of me. And so I want to take just a second in class, and I want to write them on a card. You can write one on one side, or if you need another card, I'm more than happy to give you another card. And let's write these down. Let's stick them in our purse. Let's put them on our bathroom wall. Let's put them somewhere that we can use. And these are from the Amplified, which just makes it very amplified.
You guys know my heart is always for being, being very, very practical. Um, and right now, in my own personal life, I shared with you guys before, I've stepped down from Life House and don't know what I'm supposed to do. And March 31st or 30th, whatever the last day of March is, is my last day. And and don't really know what I'm going to do come April 1st. Really May 1st. I'm gonna, I know I'm taking about six weeks off. And, um, and so for me, one of the biggest things right now is battling fear and doubt and questioning. And is this what I'm supposed to do? And so when I have those moments of... Of, and it might be every 30 seconds, I can pull out my card and I'm going to say, I'm holding fast to faith, Lord, and I'm leaning all of my entire personality on you. You know, and then I can pull back things that I know to be true. You took care of Moses, you took care of Aaron, you took care of Noah, you know, and they didn't do everything right. You took care of Abraham, and he didn't do everything right. You know, Jesus, you died on the cross for me. If you care about my sin, you care about my mortgage, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'm trusting you, Lord, to meet my needs. Lord, show me if I'm messing up. Show me if I'm off course. Give me counsel. Send counselors in my life to show me what this is. But it is a moment-by-moment, step-by-step process. And sometimes when we have things going well for us all the time, we can just, I can just depend on Becky. And I am strong-willed, and I am independent, and I'm self-assured. And, I mean, I remember 17 years ago, 15 years ago, coming to Christ and just basically saying, Okay, I've made a mess of my life. I'm sure you can't not do it. You can do no better than me. But if you can, then, you know, show up. I mean, that's kind of my arrogance. And sometimes it still will bow up, you know. I got this handled back. I mean, Lord, it's like, no, you don't have it handled. You don't have it handled. And so we pull that out. We talk about it. You know, uh, another personal in my own area of life, loving those who are unlovely. But, you know, hey, we don't need the fruit of spirit in our, the fruit of the spirit of love in our life when everybody's lovely around us, Right? I mean, it takes the unlovely for that fruit to bear, to bear in our lives of the spirit of love. And it says, you know, we go to that other one. It says, Lord, you give me a mind of blah, blah, blah. He's given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And my mind right now might not be crazy, and I might not be loving right now, but, Lord, you've given me a spirit of love. And I'm going to love through you, this person. It's not happening through me. I'm going to die to self. So, love the word of God, very practical. Um, I'm... I can memorize sometimes, but the older we get, the harder it is to memorize. But, man, we can have these index cards. And I have a friend of mine, I think it's Beth Moore that tells the story, and I think I know who the friend is. I mean, just would pin them on her. Just had to have them that close. You know, had to have it so close because they were so desperate for the word. So, so great, great, great thing. So what I want to talk about for the rest of the time, and we've got plenty of time and that's good, is um, what it looks like to be sane. What it looks like to be sane. And, um, and how we can kind of work that out. Um, the book of Proverbs is such a um, wealth of wisdom. And it's the opposite. It's very sane. Um, it is um, the Bible. The, the Proverbs is full of what wisdom looks like, what the fool looks like, and comparing those, those two things. And, um, and we don't want to be foolish in a lot of the ways. So I pulled some things of, of the opposite that I kind of want us to walk through and go from there. So, number one, these are what some of the things that some women do. Number one, they grow in knowledge. They grow in knowledge. And all those, I, I was running out of space, so I had to like shorten it. So, these are all verses from Proverbs that we pulled from. Proverbs one twenty two says this. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? 
And fools hate knowledge. Fools hate knowledge. You know, we need to grow in knowledge. If there's areas in our life that we're weak, if there's things, things that we don't know that we want to know, we want to be better at, we need to constantly be, we need to be lifelong learners, becoming better and better about those things that matter to us. That doesn't mean, I have a $100 gift card. There's a, a wonderful used bookstore. I don't know if it's wonderful or not. I kind of feel like I'm in an issue of, I'm in a session or an um, episode of hoarders when I go into this bookstore. Because, I mean, it is, it's not gross, but it's a mess. And, um, but it's right up here on um, Wirt. Is that whatever? Westview or Wirt? Whatever is the cross street. And it's called Becker's Books. And it's a house that they've converted. And I'm telling you, it has, I bet you, 100,000 volumes in there. And, um, and I have, I took some books by there and, and um, I have a $100 credit in there. And I really, I spent about 45 minutes in there and I could find nothing that I wanted to buy. I mean, $100. I could find nothing that I wanted to buy. And I, as I was saying there, I saw all these different things and psychology and philosophy and gardening and, you know, ancient history and the Civil War and all these biographies and all that stuff. And I thought, but nothing was jumping out at me. And I thought, you know, what is something I want to learn more about? And then I also thought about the 25 books that are sitting on my fireplace, you know, man thing, whatever, it's not the mantle, whatever's down here, you know, hearth, that are books that I'm like, I just, let's just read these books. You know, let's just learn what I already have in front of me. But that is something that is like, okay, what is something you love and you want to know better about? And, you know, my dad loved Bonesai. So he probably had 10 or 15 Bonesai books and he did Bonesai with the thing. He was also a runner. And so he learned about, you know, more about running and how to be better about those. So certain areas, as hobbies outside your life, that grow on the knowledge. But then, of course, grow on the knowledge of just the scriptures. Is there something that's really interesting to you? I mean, like studying the temple, or if it's into architecture, man, you know, figuring out, being creative, and figure out what did the temple really look like? Because it was gaudy. I'm telling you. They bought the finest wood, and then they overlaid it with gold. I mean, <laughs> it, was, it was the best of the best. It was gorgeous. And to figure out what the temple is. Maybe it's just, you know, some history. I did this one time, and I thought it was very interesting. Um, because, you know, in, in Genesis, they lived so much longer, five, six, seven, eight hundred years. And I figured out that Noah's father, was, Adam was still alive when Noah's father was born um, because they lived for so many years. And um, that's kind of interesting. Who knew somebody else? And it's like, well, how did, these, how did you pass the stories down? Well, because they were still alive. I mean, the guy who experienced it, it wasn't, he didn't tell somebody, he told somebody, he told somebody else. These guys lived 700, 800 years, 600 years. You know, had kids when they were, you know, 80, 90, 100 years old. You know, so it's just there's lots of overlapping that happens there, and they just pass the stories on and go on from there. Good things to study. It might be a word study that you're interested in. You know, do a study on fool in the Bible. And then Jan Silvius has written a great book about biblical fools and how to do that. So grow in knowledge. We need to be lifelong learners, and we don't have to be learners. You know, praise the Lord. And this is so funny. I hated the class, my most class I hated the very most probably in high school and all along was um was world history ninth grade world history and um i mean i did not like it but today i wish i really understood and at world civilization i think it was called too i mean i really wish i would have studied more and that's one of those things that was one of the books i looked at yesterday i thought well you know and then you take it down in small print and you think well i'm never going to read this <laughs> so it goes back on the shelf so ever looking for knowledge number two same women not only grow in knowledge, but they're diligent. Same women are diligent. D-I-L-I-G-E-N-T. This is um, from Proverbs 132. It says this, For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. 
the complacency. It's not even necessarily that they're doing something stupid. They're just not doing anything. They're just complacent. And um, I'm, I'm, for me personally, and you guys, have, I've told my story about TV and, and how it, I mean, I'm, that's my second drug of choice next to food is TV. And, um, and Carol laughs. Why do you laugh, Carol? Because you took it back last week. I took my TV back. <laughs> I took their TV back. I don't have a TV. Carol lives down the street. She has a TV. There's an extra TV, so I pull it out and put it back and pull it out and put it back. I and maybe three times. Oh, yeah. In the last year, she'll give it back if she's watching too much TV. So I give it back. For like three months. Mm-hmm. And then I give it back, and then I pull it back out and, <laughs> and go from there. I would not have cable at my house except that I'm in a townhouse that comes with it. I mean, I have no choice. Of course, I don't have to have the cable that connects to the wall outlet to make cable happen in my house, but that's for me. <laughs> but listen to this. This is Very John nice. Piper said this. John Piper... Many of you guys probably know who he is. He's a pa uh, pastor out of Minneapolis and um, raised three or four boys, um, all of them, um, all of them in the ministry now, and and um, and then they have, they adopted a daughter um, who's 16 or 17 and still living at home. And they have no TV. They never had TV growing up at all. And and they said, well, because of all the violence and the sex that's on TV. And he said, no, there's plenty of violence and sex in the Bible. But he talked about the banality of it. And this is what he said. Television is one of the greatest life wasters of the modern age. And of course, the internet is running to catch up. I mean, I can, amen. And may have caught up. You can be more selective on the internet, but you can also select worse things with only the judge of the universe watching. TV still reigns as the great life waster. The main problem with TV is not how much smut is available. Though that is a problem. Just the ads are enough to sow fertile seeds of greed and lust, no matter what program you're watching. The greater problem is the banality of it. A mind fed daily on TV diminishes. Your mind was made to know and love God. Its faculty for this great calling is ruined by excessive TV. The content is so trivial and so shallow that the capacity of the mind to think worthy thoughts withers and the capacity of the heart to feel deep emotions shrivels. And that, that is the truth. I mean, TV does do that. And there's some good stuff on it, but nine times out of ten, it's, it's not. And, you know, hey, I mean, just, that doesn't mean we have to get rid of every TV in the house. It doesn't mean anything like that. But let, you know, just turn it off for three hours and, and read a book. And somebody says, well, if I do that, I fall asleep. Well, then maybe you need sleep more than you need to watch Law & Order SUV. I mean, and I love Law and I love SU. I'm, I'm coming testifying from someone who loves all those shows, you know, and I don't watch the trash, but it's just like, you know, maybe taking a long hot tub bath is of greater value than watching TV. And we, we let ourselves just kind of get sucked into it, and then, you know, two, three hours. What started it for me was when I first came to Christ, and I would come home from work, and I'd be tired, and I'd want something mindless to do, and I'd turn the TV on. But, you know, it's not mindless. Because it does affect our minds. When I come in and, and I turn it on and all of a sudden I realize it's, you know, it started there at 6 and it's 11 o'clock and I've done nothing, you know. And, and so that doesn't mean that, and, and, I, and so in that case it became, well, I don't, it's not like I need to always work because I can absolutely fall into that as much. Always be doing and working and cleaning and vacuuming or literally working, working. Um, but that's what, maybe you just need to read a fiction book or Again, for me, because the hot tub bath is a huge, you know, blessing. Nothing blesses my soul better than to get
get into a big tub with lots of bubble bath and, and just sit there and soak. And keep turning the hot water, you know, drain the water, put more hot water in it, drain the water, put more hot water in it. Get all shriveled up and do that stuff. And so we need to just not be complacent, but we need to be diligent about doing whatever our desires are, whatever our hearts are, and, um, and push forward on that. I think that those girls that are foolish will just, their life will wither away, and we see it. We see people that are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s years old, and they think, what is, what's my life worth? What have I done? What have I done? Except just go through his way. All right, number three, sane women watch their words. Sane women watch their words. Proverbs 12, 23. A prudent, um, a prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. Um, the, the NIV says a prudent man keeps his knowledge to himself, but the heart of fool blurts out folly. And when, we, when we're not watchful over our words, We'll, we will look foolish. There's a ver there's another proverb. I didn't pull it out. I forget which one it is, but it says that even a even the fool looks wise if he keeps his mouth shut. And um, and I can tell you because I'm verbose and I like to talk. And there are times in my life that I've just got to say, Becky, just shut your mouth. You don't need to talk. When I lived overseas in Russia for a couple of years and I did learn the Russian language, the um, but I had to think in English, translate it into Russian, and then speak the sentence. Well, by the time I did that process, they had already moved on. You know, so the, the, the little quib that I was going to give or the funny statement that I was going to make or the opinion that I had about what they were talking about, it didn't matter anymore. And it was really, it was humbling in a lot of ways because all of a sudden I realized that my opinion was not necessary for the conversation <laughs> to continue. And, um, but it also came to think, you know, hey, not, not everything, just because it comes in here doesn't mean it has to come out of my mouth. And, um, and sometimes I can keep it myself. So watch our words and not be um, just to blunt out because man you blunt it out and it's out it's never I mean how many times did we start to say something and we want to just run after the words and catch it and bring it back into our mouth be slow to speak slow to speak okay so the um, same women are they grow in knowledge they're diligent they watch their words number four they're patient they're patient Proverbs 13, 19 says this, A longing fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but fools detest turning from evil. A longing fulfilled is sweet to the soul. So we need to be patient. And those desires that we want, whatever that might be, you know, whether it's a, whether it's a physical, material desire, whether, you know, a bedroom, for, for, I mean, my, I would love to have guest furniture in my bedroom, but I, right now I have a chair. I have a bed. I have a chair, I have a TV table with a lamp on it, and I have a bookcase, you know, and I've had a lot of people come and visit, um, but I just don't have, I mean, I got a bed for you to stay, and I got clean towels, you know, and clean sheets, and I would love to be able to give a nice, put a nice bedroom furniture in there, and, um, but it's just not in the budget now, especially since I don't have a job soon, it definitely is not in the budget. I want patio furniture, you know, but man, when I finally do, when I get that deal, you know, when I save up the money, whether it's $10 a month for two years, I can buy that. Man, it's so sweet. So much sweeter. Um, you know, one day my desire is to be married. I'd love to be married. Man, but I don't want to run ahead. I mean, I'd rather, want, I'd rather not have what I want than not want what I got. And I don't want to run ahead of the situation like that. Man, I want to wait for just that perfect desire to be fulfilled. It, I mean, even my situation right now with my job. 
you know, what the Lord wants me to do. I don't want to mess up. Man, again, it's, it's a, I mean, I'd rather not have a paycheck than be at a job that's miserable and feel stuck in it and not be able to get out because I just ran ahead and go back. You know, I bought the bedroom suit. I bought the, the, you know, the furniture for the porch. I bought the car, and now I'm stuck. Now I'm stuck because I almost bought a car in, in, in December, but I didn't, and I didn't, and now I know why because I didn't have that. I didn't have that opportunity, so... So good. We need to wait, and it is sweet when that longing is fulfilled. And for me personally, and I've talked about this before, I think, because I, um, when that longing is fulfilled, we need to celebrate that. And so often when I plan, 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 and then if something happens, I don't like stop and rejoice in that because I've thought about it for long, so long, it's like, okay, well, it's just the next thing. But I think sometimes when we do celebrate, it's like, yeah, you know, when you celebrate, what's something special? What's something good that's happened? And that might be nothing. It might be, but just to pause and to stop. I mean, the Lord talks, he loves festivals, loves celebrating. He loves remembering. Wanted us to remember everything all the time. Remember, 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 remember. And stop and celebrate in that remembrance. Yep. If we don't run ahead, too, uh, many times God just gives it to us and we don't have to buy it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I get, almost all of my clothes that I have have been given to me. And that is, I mean... I'm blessed. Everything I have on the day except my shoes is given to me and my underwear. I do buy my own <laughs> And it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Um, okay, the next thing, and this is huge. We'll spend a little time on this. Sane women are mindful of their companions. Their companions. C-O-M-P-A-N-I-O-N-S. Their companions. Um, let's see. Proverbs 13.20. We're still in Proverbs. Or chapter three. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And we need to be mindful of who do we hang out with. And uh, it's, it, it can be this simple in some ways. Um, you know, everybody around you is either a plus, a minus, or a zero. Have you guys heard this before? They're either a plus. They really add to your life. They add great value to your life. They encourage you in your life. In some area, you know, it doesn't mean that it's just spiritual. They might encourage your life in, in making sure you get out and exercise or eating well or, or um, in your work situation. It might be a coworker that, man, they really help me be creative when we brainstorm about solutions or, or whatever the situation. It might be a neighbor that, man, she's so creative. She always has the best recipes and, you know, I can create some. So they're pluses. They're adding great value to your life. And then you have zeros, which they just don't do anything. I mean, they're just... You know, give or take. They don't. They don't take away. They don't give. They just. They're just kind of. You know. There. There. There's not a whole. And then you've got. Then you've got the negatives that are. Those are that. Man, they just suck you dry. They suck you dry. And um, and they might suck you dry because of their own neediness, or they might suck you dry just because of what they encourage you to do negatively. That might not be righteous or holy or true or what you really want. The really core of who you are. I mean, we've all been around friends like that, and afterwards, whatever. We did too much or spoke too much or said too much or drank too much or ate too much or whatever. And afterwards we think, Why do I, I always do that when I'm with Susie. You know? Well, maybe we need to quit hanging out with Susie. And that does not mean in our lives we don't have any of those people that are negative that suck us dry. We just need to be mindful of them. We've got to have our boundaries established. Because some of those, trust me, I was a negative in people's lives. And I was so grateful that they let me suck them dry appropriately. <laughs> you know, they controlled that. And man, and it brought me, you know, I got some healing and emotionally, you know, wasn't sucking so many people dry so often, you know, so, but we need to be mindful of those things. 
But we in our lives, we really want to be pluses. We want to strive to add value in people's lives, even in those that are negatives and even those that are zeros. Man, we want to be the pluses. Because we hang around wise people, you know what? We will be wise. We hang around fools, we will be foolish. Somebody said to me, um, you know, Becky, you're just not relational. And that really, that was, it, I really battled through that because I have very deep, deep, deep relationships. And I realized that it's not that I'm not um, relational, I'm not superficial. Um, if it really is, if all we're going to, the only relationship we're going to have is, you know, did the Astros win or not last night? And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, you know, I want to, I want to talk about meaty stuff. And that probably is a flaw, especially when I moved to a new city six years ago, because, you know, I'm not going to have real deep conversations with people that I just met. And so I need to sometimes invest in those, what I might be just kind of superficial stuff to find out, hey, is there, is there something deeper here that we need to go through and to have that? And, um, and so and that's just my own stuff that I need to work, work through. But we need to be mindful who are we hanging around with. And I don't think that it is inappropriate at all. You don't need to show it to anybody else, but for you to sit down and think about who do I spend time with, you know, and where do they fit in that relationship? And where do I fit with them in that relationship? Am I encouraging them or do I pull them down? Or am I just a zero in their lives? And we start looking and, and finding friends. I'll never forget, um, there's a, uh, another proverb. It's in King James is, is, is how it's translated in King James. I wish I could remember the verse. But it says, he who, who, um, who, he who has friends finds himself friendly. And so if, we want, if, if you don't have the relationships you want, maybe you should be a better friend. And I thought, man, that's good. You know, you pick up the phone and call people. You pick up the phone and reach out. You don't have friends, find yourself friendly. Um, so be mindful of our companions because they will suffer harm when we fools. Okay, whatever it is, number four, five, six, I don't know where it is, but um, quick to repent. A wise, a sane woman is quick to repent. Repent. Proverbs 14, 9. Fools mock at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance. In the, in the NIV it says, fools mock at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. And so... When we mess up, when we make a sin, man, be quick to repent. Be quick to ask forgiveness. And, you know, like that. I mean, we're going we're gonna, to, I'm going to drive down the road, and I'm probably still going to honk the horn, or maybe I don't, I'm kind of gotten pulled back from honking the horn, but I said, what in the world are they doing? I mean, you know, I've just judged them. I have no idea what's going on in their life. I'm like, you're doing 35 in the left lane on 610. What are you doing? You're going to get us all killed. I just, I need to real quick and say, Lord, forgive me for that. I don't need to even say that. That was a negative. It's sucking me, sucking myself dry, in those things. Um, with our, with our friends, with our spouses, with our, our coworkers. You know, man, if we've been short with them, or haven't been courteous, or, or maybe just even messed up a project, go to them and say, "Hey, I'm, man, I'm sorry. I, dro- I majorly dropped the ball on this, and you really picked it up. Thanks so much. You know, I appreciate it. Way to go. Be quick to take personal responsibility for our own actions." Personal responsibility. It is a mess, and it's my choice. I made it, but, man, I can fix it. Claiming that, and that, and in the world today is so, um, taking personal responsibility is definitely a huge area that we don't, because who wants to take personal responsibility? You know, we've talked about it, too, and I, I can, you know, Jennifer's in her 20s. She's in the, I mean, I don't know how old you are. You're probably in that same age group. That, what, are, what are they called? What are y'all, you're not Gen Xers. You're Gen Y or they're millennials. 
millennials. And, you know, we've, we, um, we've done a disservice in so many ways sometimes to millennials because we have them, we, they think just showing up means that they've been successful because when they were four years old on the soccer team, everybody on the soccer team got a trophy because they, you know, even when they're 20 or, or 10, they got a trophy. It wasn't whether you won or lost. It was just, you know, showing up as part of that thing. And I think sometimes that in that way there's not personal responsibility. Hey, we lost. You know, I, you know, I did my very best, but we still lost. You know, and so, yeah, you did very your best, but you, but, you know, you did let 10 goals go through as the keeper. You know, claim personal responsibility for that. So, quick to repent. And then finally, Proverbs 15.5, we need to receive correction. And this kind of ties right back up to being quick to repent. And also goes up to having friends in your life. But um, <coughs> Proverbs 15.5 says this. Um, a fool despises his father's instructions, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. Is prudent. So um, we need to, when people come to your life and, 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 and say, hey, you know, Beck, you need to do more of this or less of that or, you know, your countenance isn't right or whatever. Whatever needs to be corrected in our lives are little things. Right, Beck, it's time to get the color done in your hair. You know, we need to get, you know, butt up on that. You know, Becca, you know, go get your toes done, girl. I mean, whatever the situation is, we need to be able to receive that correction, apply it to our lives to make ourselves better, and to move on. Because we're all going to get criticism. And we're going to get criticism from our bosses. We're going to get criticism from our friends. You know, and hopefully it's going to be constructive. And, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, because there's some people in your life that are just always going to correct you always on every single thing you ever do. You know, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and think, well, it's not, you know, that's not true or that doesn't apply or, you know, look for that and, and heed that correction. And, um, man, I'm telling you, this used to be the hardest thing for me. This was a huge area personally that was hard for me. I did not want to see, receive correction because I knew everything. I mean, I knew every. I was perfect. I did not have any issues. I'm trying to be. I was trying to be. I was trying. No, I probably thought I was perfect. But, um, I mean, this was, this was probably six or seven years ago. This isn't like an eternity ago. And I had a mentor in my life that started, she had me go through and look up every single proverb that said discipline or correction or rebuke. A wise woman receives a rebuke is the verse that sticks to me. And so it's when somebody rebukes me, gives me a verbal correction, I need to just receive it. Go home, process through how much of this is true, how much is not true, and then apply it to truth in my life. And not just immediately get bowed up or get defensive. That's what I would do. I'd get defensive. But listen to the blah, 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 and she did that, and he did this, and, you know, but no. Okay, how do we fix that? I want to be better about that and make that right. So we have to receive correction. Um, Proverbs 15.5 and the, the um, oh, and then also 26.3. Flip over to 26.3. It says, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. All those things, um, a whip for the horse and a bridle for the donkey, it controls them. And for a fool, what happens is a rod. I mean, they get disciplined. And there's physical consequences to what it is for the fool. And I don't necessarily say that, you know, we need to go and, you know, get spanked when you're 40 years old. But, but, but how I always say is that I have learned that I don't have to always touch the stove. If I've been given correction and saying that the stove is hot, <laughs> I don't have to go over there and touch the stove and think, well, it's not hot for me. You know, it's like, this isn't going to burn me because I'm perfect. This is, you know, no. I was 40 years old before I learned I, I could learn from somebody else's mistakes and receive those corrections. So this is where there's always a trigger is for me personally in my own life. 
if there's pain, emotional, mental, physical, spiritual pain in my life, the first place I'm always going to look is saying, okay, is this a form of correction, Lord? Are you pruning me? Is there something going on that I need to adjust? You know, my pants are too tight. It's because I ate so much on Saturday. You know, okay, I need to adjust. Emotionally, all my friends are, you know, of this one person I'm having a great relationship. There's a real tension going on here. There's pain in this relationship. What's going on? Why is there pain in my life? Here's the interesting thing. The pain in our life can come about because of sin in our life or because of correction. Just a little, they're making us better. Because when Jesus in, the, in John talks about he, that his father is the, fine, the vine dresser coming through pruning. Sometimes he's cutting away because it's sin. And sometimes he's cutting away so that it would bear more fruit. So the difficulties and challenges that come in our life doesn't necessarily mean that there's sin in our life. But we need to be able to say, and only we can say it. Nobody else can come up. You know, people say, well, that's happened in your life because you got, you know, you're sick because of sin in your life. No. I mean, I might have this sickness because God's going to get greater glory in my sickness than in my health. Anybody go to the Letters of God Friday night? I mean, this little boy, has got cancer. God got so much greater glory out of his sickness than you did out of his life. Out of his, or possibly did, but anyways. And, um, and so in that same way in my life, okay, Lord, there's pain in my life. Right now I'm walking through some, a painful season. You know, God's calling me to do some big steps. Lord, is there sin in my life, or are you doing this to bear more fruit in my life? And I think he's doing it to bear more fruit in my life. And I go to my counselors, and I go to those that are around me. I have my own introspective that I say, all right, I don't think I'm in sin here. Do you guys think I'm in sin? That goes back to quick to repent, personal responsibility, I mean, all, having good companions around you, all that ties together and says, no, Beck, I don't think it's sin. I think it's so that you can bear more fruit. And say, so, okay, you know, dang. You know, because sometimes when it's sin, the man, we can fix it, make it right, the pain goes away. But if it's to bear more fruit, then we've got to go through that season of sowing and sowing and hoeing and praying for rain. And, and then three, four, five, ten months, years down the road, oh, we got fruit. We got fruit. And um, what Pastor said last week, and I'll close with this, and I think this is so true in our own personal lives. You know, he, he said, if you're a believer, you're standing on the solid rock of Christ, and on one side is a river of blessing, and on one side is a river of curses. I mean, river of challenges. Blessings, challenges. And there's some teaching, and, and we wish it would, this to be the truth, that we just turn over here to blessings and say, oh, you know, challenges. If you love Jesus, you don't have any challenges. You know, if you just walk in, you know, have your daily quiet time, you won't have any challenges. Here we go. Just have more faith. You won't have any challenges. You know, and there's other people that, you know, it's just, woe is me. This is the Christian life. It's just as difficult. It's hard. You live in this culture. It's going to be miserable. But no, stand in the middle, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, you know, for the joys that before him endure the cross. And he's going to dip out of blessings, and he's going to dip out of challenges to transform us to be who he wants us to be. So when there's challenges in our life, Lord, are you doing this for transformation or for correction? I'm doing it for transformation. I'm doing it for correction, okay? I blew it. I'm sorry. I made it right. I went and saw Susie. I went and saw Harry. Made it right. We're back on the path. And then he's going to dump blessings on us and walk through that. And the blessings can be just as challenging as the challenges can be challenging. So we want to be wise women. We want to be sane women. We want to live lives of sanity so that those younger women that see our lives can say, Man, how can you get, how can you do this? Because Jesus, because this book of Proverbs, you know, that I just cling to and say, okay, it doesn't make sense to me, but I believe this is truth and this is a path for me to walk. And you can walk it there. Let me pray and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, we love you and we thank you.
for today. We, Lord, we thank you so much for the word of God, that in it has everything we need for life and godliness, how to be sane, how to be wise, what a fool looks like, Lord, how to respond when we don't know how to live in love, how we don't know how to live in um, without anxiousness or worry, but Lord, that you've given us a, a sound mind, and we can claim that promises of what it looks like. You've given us characters in the Bible of real-life people that have lived out this path and how you respond, and we can look at those principles and apply it to our life to know how we should, should respond and what your character is like. And we thank you for the word. Lord, I bless these ladies. I pray, Lord, that you would speak truth into their lives this week, Father and God, that people would come along in their lives and a whole lot of positives in their lives, Father, to bless them, Lord, and those that the negatives that come in their lives, Lord, you'll give them that spirit of love and of grace and of discipline and of self-control, Lord, to bless those, those folks that come in their lives. We love you and we praise you, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.